Hello and welcome to the 4 Comic Junkies Podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, J.J. Hodges. This podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Go to batman-on-film.com for all the latest, greatest, non-spoileriest news. Uh, and that's a good thing. You don't want to be spoiled these days, do you, people? You don't. You, you think you do, but you don't. Um, although I do. I really like... You know, I'm on Venmo. If you got money, you want to you want to spoil me with, that's fine. Um, anywho, <clears throat> today uh, I'm welcoming back uh, Chris Clow, who is uh, one of the coolest dudes you'll ever get a chance to talk to. Uh, thank you so much for joining me again today, Chris. Thank yeah. you for having me, JJ. I really appreciate come uh, the chance to come on. Uh, yeah, it has. Um, and but luckily, you know, we uh, you know we keep up through social media, you know. Uh, daughter's growing up beautiful, so congratulations there. Uh, thank you, and likewise. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, she's uh, she's fun, you know, uh, especially when she runs into my room at 7.30 in the morning and says, can we go play downstairs? And I've gotten two hours of sleep, and I just, <laughs> yeah, it's fine, it's fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's plenty of time to sleep, you know, during, you know, the 13th viewing of Frozen in the Day. Um, but, uh, so we're continuing our celebration of Batman, the animated series, uh, which is 30 years old this year, which is wild to think about because on the one hand, the show, you know, in terms of, uh, the animation at least can look and feel a little dated, but in terms of the stories, uh, hell no, this, this stuff holds up. And Chris was kind enough to suggest a uh, off-the-beaten-path kind of episode. Um, a bullet for bullet. Ah, excuse me. <laughs> we're, already, we're already here. Um, a bullet for Bullock, uh, which was written by Michael Reeves and directed by Frank Parr. Uh, so, Chris, what, what made you pick this episode out of all the all the other ones? I, I mean, chances are, and I've been in this situation before, in fact, for Batman on film. If you're asked to rank or to come up with specific episodes of BTAS, I mean, the usual suspects are always going to come up mm -hmm. because there are a lot of usual suspects because it's such an excellent show. Sure. Um, but I think that there are also a fair amount of episodes that tend to fly under the radar a little bit that have just as much good, solid, acumen as any of the best episodes and the ones that people think of the most plus this one has the advantage of being a really direct adaptation of a just solid single issue of detective comics that was written by chuck dixon mm. so uh really all of that combines into um just a really fun way to spend 20 minutes with the a character that you love and a world that you're fascinated by and um, really one of the more interesting relationships that Batman has, if you even can call it that. <laughs> um, but uh, I just think that there's a lot of angles to this one when it comes to adaptation, when it comes to the directness of the writing, when it comes to the tightness of, of uh, the way that it's been transferred into uh, into animation there's just there's a lot to unpack there's a lot of layers to the onion 
that is a bullet for Bullock. So it's just, it's an episode I've always had a lot of appreciation for just as a really strong character piece. Mm-hmm. And um, if it's not on your list, maybe give it another look. Um, I, I'm glad that you, you did uh, because I, it's something I would definitely reconsider in, in a, in a top like 10, 15 list or whatever, uh, because it, it's it's one of those types of episodes where um you know and I and I just did an episode recently with um uh Nick Zednick, you know, Zeddy about uh, uh Robin's Reckoning. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to have these kinds of episodes where sure the show is called Batman the Animated Series, but in this episode, and it's the same with that episode, Batman's more of a supporting character. And that's not a bad thing. You know, we get to it's good to shake up the formula a little bit, you know, because if it was just another Joker episode or another Two-Face episode, I'm sure it would have been fine. But not having those, um, the, the colorful rogues gallery sets it apart from the other episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I mean, and it's something that, it, well, the the concept that you describe is one of the strengths of the comics because there are, numerous high profile creators who take the opportunity to uh to tell single contained stories with other characters that populate gotham city or really any any shared city really any shared universe i mean if you have uh, a shared universe that's in continuous publication for upwards of close to eight decades then you're going to run into uh I guess a desire to maybe show what life is like for some of these other characters and uh, a bullet for Bullock is something that did that first in detective comics and on an ongoing format, like Batman, the animated series that has so many uh, interesting characters uh, in addition to creating some itself. uh, It's fun to just kind of take a little bit of a detour because especially a show like this, it's still at the end of the day all about Batman, even if he's not the the guy that you follow through the entirety of the story. Mm -hmm. It feeds your perceptions about him too. And the way that other people see him, it just enriches the world that he occupies. So all that stuff works in its favor as well. You know, what's really great about it is that, you know, we, we get to, we do get to really feel for Bullock and understand Bullock and um, and you see a little bit like why he's kind of a, a grumpy guy uh, you know he's kind of got a crappy apartment you know he's you know and I think it's such a great line too Montoya says oh what do you what are you doing for New Year's and he says same thing I did for Christmas I'm doing my laundry you know it's just yep. <laughs> it's so it, it's such a it's such a funny bit but you also get kind of the sense that you know you know, maybe it's sad, but maybe he maybe he doesn't mind it. Maybe he doesn't mind how sad that that feels that might look to someone like Montoya or whoever else. Like he's just that's just his life, and he's okay with it. You know, and he says a couple times, you know, it's like, oh, you know, thank thank goodness for rent control, right? Um, living in a place like Gotham, you know, he probably got a good deal on, um, you know, a decent ish apartment that he's kind of let go to go to crap, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's seeing how other people live. Like, one of the things that I appreciate about the way this story is told in both uh, the original issue and in the episode is that 
you know, sometimes it can be a little strange to step away from, uh, I guess the, the upper class components of Bruce Wayne, because mm. when he walks up from the cave, you know, he steps into a palatial mansion. Um, but when he's on the streets as Batman, he obviously gets to see up close, uh, the wide variety of circumstances in which people live. Um, but focusing exclusively on someone like Bullock, who's a working stiff, but who is still on the same side as Batman at the end of the day, it's fun. And it, uh, it just helps to show the kinds of dynamics that are at play uh, with people in the police department and how they view Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just for, for the sake of being diverse in the environments that you tell stories in it's good to be able to step away from some of the more typical trappings of a batman story it's it's fun to occasionally get out of wayne manor and uh and and see how other people live in this very oppressive environment that is gotham city and uh this episode does a good job in this in the series context of making gotham feel like a more populated place no i i I totally agree uh you know we and we don't and it the the cast of characters in it is actually fairly small you know like a like an eight person play right you know if you were to do it that way uh so not not many people to uh and not even really a lot of uh set pieces i mean of course like you know batman takes the you know the, the one mobster rosie and dangles him and everything as batman is wont to do uh but you know this could be done fairly low budget in terms of like if it were to be like live action um and 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 there's nothing wrong with that because i think it's it's cool to have those those smaller moments where we get to see batman doing cool batman stuff and but we also get to see a team up with bullock that doesn't really happen you know there's there's this and then like the the laughing fish uh, but for the most part, the the, sh- the series is Bullock trying to you know uh, you know take down Batman. A good example being Mask of the Phantasm, of course. Um, you know where he's very much just like doesn't doesn't care and is gonna just like you know take him down and kick his ass or whatever. <laughs> um, but in this case, we get to you know it, we get to kind of be forced with the idea, and Batman is sort of forced with the idea that. Bullock and Batman aren't that different, you know? And I, I think it's such a good line, too, when he says, uh, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, hey, I ain't no dirty cop, but, you know, like, I'm kind of like you. I bend the rules a little bit, right? And I like that, that Batman kind of immediately is like, oh, no, 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 I'm not like you. And, but it's like, eh, you kind of are, though, you know? <laughs> like, probably worse than Bullock, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, Bullock does have a badge, right? And he yeah. has been deputized and is an official representative of law enforcement in Gotham City. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, there are, there are a number of specific arguments to be made regarding the differences between Harvey Bullock and Bruce Wayne, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think that's one of the things that makes this episode even richer than someone might think is that uh, like the team up component is good in the original book. It actually led to a rather decisive 
uh, moment between Batman and Bane that would follow in Nightfall. Mm. And, uh, and, and Bullock as a character has been on a hell of a journey himself um, years after the original issue and certainly years after uh, this episode. I mean, he would go through uh, a, a pretty damning string of uh, falling into his corruptive influences. Mm-hmm. Um, and but again, you know, just like seeing where he comes from and seeing how he lives his life as a direct contrast to the way that Batman conducts himself. It's a fun team up and it's not one that you see very often. But I think there's also a fair amount of merit to the idea that, uh, you know, these kinds of uh, like bottle episodes and done in one issues as both of these stories are, uh, it just helps to break up the um i don't want to say monotony because i don't believe the stories are monotonous but it does help to uh use a term my buddy paul herman loves subvert your expectations yeah um in in terms of uh just telling maybe different kinds of stories than you might be accustomed to and i mean watching this episode i actually saw the episode long before i read the individual issue Mm -hmm. um but it does feel right at home in detective comics as like, uh, you know, like that kind of grittier kind of story that you might expect from a title like that. Uh, it, it's, and it was just a great choice to, to adapt for a single episode. Really the creative teams of the DCAU did a good job uh, in the handful of instances where they did directly adapt single issues. They picked uh, very effectively. You know, I mean, the other one that comes to immediate mind for me is for the man who has everything from Superman annual number 11 that they adapted into a Justice League Unlimited episode. Uh, That one was written by Alan Moore, Mm -hmm. but also just a really good, strong character piece. And this, I don't think it reaches those heights, but it certainly is a good, strong character piece and sort of an examination of what makes these two guys tick when they are on the same side, but operate pretty differently when mm-hmm. it comes down to the specifics, but also similarly, like you said. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny you bring up the For the Man Who Has Everything episode, uh, because it, that's one of the instances where I think that the adaptation is better than the the, the source material, mm. um, where uh, I, I just, you know, for whatever reason, I, that maybe it's just the way Alan Moore writes, I don't know. But uh, I I find that the the that episode is, is much the story is much stronger um but that's a whole other conversation but uh <laughs> well, but actually though i think that the, like i think that's a perfectly valid take and it goes back to something that does inform a bullet for bullock in that the way that the creative teams and certainly the writers adapt that material is not overwrought it's yep. not um it's not even really self-indulgent. It, it plays things very straight. And I think the voice casts certainly have a lot to do with that. I mean, Andrea Romano is famous for choosing performers to embody characters based on natural qualities of their voices, as opposed to having cartoon actors do character voices. Right. And that makes such an incredible difference in how well these shows age. Um, but it's certainly evident in this episode and it would go on to be evident in for the man who has everything, which was also adapted by Paul Dini. So that doesn't hurt. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, it's all, it all just adds to the tapestry of how great this shared universe is. It's, uh, and I think what's great about this is that it is very much a, uh, a done in one, as you said, which most of the episodes of Batman the main series were. And, and there, you know, there's like some follow through where they, you know, especially the Riddler episodes are very much a trilogy. Um, whereas, you know, these episodes, uh, you know, you, you get the sense that Batman's been around a while. Bullock's been around a while. You know, he straight up says to Montoya, you know, you know, tried living here for 15 years and seeing how it makes you look or whatever. And, and I like that you had those little, just, just enough character beats to flesh out, you know, who, who these people are, you know, get a little bit of Montoya, you get a lot of Bullock, even get some Batman, of course, you know, no Bruce Wayne in this episode though. Um, which, uh, plenty of Alfred to make up for it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, and I I actually was wrong. It wasn't Paul Dini that adapted for them. It was J.M. DeMatteis, which even makes all the more sense. But I'm sorry, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think you make an, an excellent point. I mean, there's nothing that is lost in this episode by leaving the Bruce Wayne identity behind for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Wayne's influence, the identity of Bruce Wayne, um, it's it needs to be pretty selective, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if it's him coming in to try and affect some semblance of the city that's broken with his wealth that he wants to try and fix. That's certainly fair game. Or if there's something that attacks the Wayne family legacy, that's a commonly used uh, component. But in a story like this, Bruce Wayne would certainly feel out of place because of the, I use the term loosely because I think it's often overused, but the grittiness of a story like this, like in terms of, uh, family friendly or at least all ages appropriate cartoon this is a pretty gritty example mm-hmm. um, but uh, overall it's just like it uses the tools and the toys and the toy box that it needs and that's one of the other things that I like about it no I, I totally agree and it, it's interesting because it it almost feels like it should be an episode of you know Hill Street Blues or not or NYPD Blue you know that were they were on around the same time uh, because it's like the, the Batman in it is, I mean, it has a substantial role, of course, it's, I mean, it's his show, but it, you could almost take him out of it and it would still work just as well. Um, I mean, you, you shouldn't do that because, you know, we want to see Batman, right? You know, that's why we're here, but <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, but I like that, that Bullock is just the, just like your average Joe guy that you know and, and and him going to batman for help and i love that you know we talked about alfred a minute ago like you know that, that he's just very he's like are, are we talking about the same person here this is harvey bullock you know like it's just it's just funny like that even alfred who's probably never met him you know it, it knows enough about him to go oh this is strange that he's asking you for help and and then batman's even like you know well he gave me this list of names and it's like forever long and, you know so even the back computer's having trouble figuring it out well, it's even funny because in the episode, Alfred makes the joke, the guy that looks like an unmade bed. Oh, in yeah. The original, in the original issue, that joke is present as well, but it's Robin who says it. Oh. And it seems like it makes more sense for Alfred to say that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it, but it's just funny and it goes to show how how directly this episode is adapted. But you're absolutely right in terms of, uh, you know, just like the the 
police uh, procedural kind of quality that this episode has, but also to the episode and the issue, I think t- ended up telegraphing how much I loved and appreciated uh, Gotham Central. Mm, the yeah. issue series by uh, Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka because Gotham Central takes some very similar approaches to this uh, on an ongoing basis. That's a series that ran for about 40 issues. Mm-hmm. And um, Batman was present occasionally, yeah. but it wasn't about him. But every time he was in it, you paid attention because... Yeah there's just there's almost like this sense of awe that comes with uh these situations that the gotham police have to face down and all of a sudden he's there you know it's just it, it it's like wow batman's here and he's gonna help and this episode and the the original issue have a very similar kind of quality so in my mind after the fact i kind of just openly speculate if a bullet for Bullock might be kind of a granddaddy to something like Gotham Central. Mm. It, it definitely sounds like it. I, I've actually, you know, you mentioned the issue a bunch of times. I, I've never read that one. And I actually didn't know that till you, till you said it, uh, which shows how, how much, you know, how great a host I am. Uh, but... no, Detective Comics number 651 that was published in uh, late 1992, I believe. So, okay. Uh, it's worth reading, especially, you know, it's because it sounds like your experience would be uh, similar to mine, because like I said, I saw the the episode first mm-hmm. when I was a kid before I even knew to dive into back issue boxes. Right. So right. Um, it's a fun reading experience. Once you read it, you'll have to tell me how you think it comes across. Uh, yeah, no, I'll definitely uh, check that out. You know, uh, thank, thank goodness for a DC universe, you know, to, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. what a, what a great resource. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the things, you know, that you talked about a little bit earlier that, that makes this show stand out is, is the, the cast, um, you know, Andrea Romano is just a genius, the way she cast everybody. And it's funny to think that once upon a time, um, you know, um, Kevin Conroy, you know, he almost didn't want to be Batman. He thought that Bullock was a more interesting character and, you know, they kind of convinced him to, to, to read for Batman, uh, and, you know, how, you know the you know what multiverse is that in right you know like i almost don't want to visit that one i like no i'm good with the kevin conroy batman you know i don't want to know what robert costanzo sounds like as batman um <laughs> i mean assuming they switch roles i don't know but uh, yeah, yeah. but robert costanzo you know he just you know it's it's funny because bullock almost it, it's almost as if they modeled him after costanzo right like he looks a little bit like him but you know but at the same time you know he's got kind of that Know, like gruff like uh you know because he's uh i was thinking when i think of him other than bullock i think about the episode of um uh lois and clark that he's in where um i, th- I think it was like something with uh if i remember correctly there was an episode there's the episode where like lois's father was with these like robotic boxers or they were cybernetic boxers or something like that robert costanzo was not a part of it, but he was another like boxing guy, and and his big and his line throughout the whole thing was like, "Hey, if you want somebody to take care of him, I know some guys who know some guys," you know, and that's what he kept saying throughout the episode. And, um, and I just like I have to expect him to say that in Batman the Animated Series is just go like, you know, when he's like, "Hey, I ain't no rat, I ain't you know, I'm taking no bribes," you know, 
I just know some guys who know some guys or something, you know. Um, <laughs> but but also like that that Bullock, you know, for as much as he is a hard ass and he is kind of, you know, Paul Dini described him as like a soiled cop, not necessarily a dirty cop. You know, right. he, you know, that he does have some sort of weird moral code that it's like we're rooting for Batman, even though technically Batman's the vigilante, but Bullock is just, it almost makes Bullock worse to bend the rules because because he has the badge, like you said, right? You know what I mean? Sure. Well, I think um, this is an instance where you're known by the company you keep mm-hmm. uh, comes into play because... Yes, there is a moment in, in the comics where Bullock does have a bit of a fall from grace before he comes back. But at the end of the day, the biggest advocate for Harvey Bullock is Jim Gordon. Yep. And I think Gordon understandably has quite a bit of pull with certainly with Batman, yep. but also with uh, with Gotham itself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it becomes even more intriguing when you think about the long-standing journey that was established um in the books that gordon himself took from year one up through the likes of like no man's land and beyond Mm -hmm. um as someone who came from you know a clearly corrupt environment who jumped into an even more corrupt environment and who um through his partnership with batman ended up gaining the ability and the authority to clean up the police department. And mm-hmm. one of the way, one of the people he chooses to help him do that is Harvey Bullock. Yep. So there's something about them that uh, just, it comes across as a really interesting partnership, but uh, this is an instance where even if I may not see the charm of Harvey Bullock myself, or even if Bruce Wayne might not see the charm of Harvey Bullock, the proxy in that scenario is how Jim Gordon sees Harvey Bullock. Right. And if you don't trust Jim Gordon, who can you trust? So yeah, that's what I think about. And, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, um, you know, the live action series that included both of those guys for several years, which I am not a fan of, <laughs> but uh, Donald Logue was certainly inspired casting for Harvey Bullock. And oh, yeah. uh, I think he was probably my favorite part of that show from the episodes that I did see. Uh, and that at least adds credence to his side of that story. But certainly the DC Comics conception of Harvey Bullock. Um, I look at, uh, like, even if, like I said, if I don't see something in him, there's something that Commissioner Gordon sees in him, and that's good enough for me. It should be good enough for you, too. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I totally agree there. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that because. I think I'm sort of the unicorn in the uh, our Batman on film uh, friends where I'm probably the only one among us who really enjoys the show. Um, I, I just sort of enjoy the, uh, I, I just take it as an Elseworlds thing, you know, like, like, okay, like, let's just, what if the villains showed up before Batman kind of thing? And, mm-hmm. and then I can process it much easier because if I think of it too much in the canon, then I'm going to, write it off immediately uh not that i'm saying that's what you did or what the other guys do uh, sure. uh but you know everyone's entitled to their opinion of course but i just think it's funny that everybody's always like oh you know blah 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 but uh but i love that that you said that because i think that donald Logue, you know really he, he captured that that essence of, of harvey that's 
he's going to do the right thing. He might not be happy about it, but he's going to do the right thing at the end of the day. And and maybe sometimes he's he's not going to do the right thing, and he's going to feel a little bit bad about it. But if you ask him, he's just he's not going to admit to it, you know. Um, either way, in that sense, you know what I mean? Like he's not going to be like. Yeah, you know, I did the right thing. That's what we do. We're cops. Or, you know, yeah, I did a bad thing and I feel bad. He's not going to admit to either one of those things. He's just going to kind of grumble, you know, grumble under his breath and walk away, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, um, you know, but look, more power to you if you can enjoy that show. I think that's uh, <laughs> the the fact I'm not I'm never pleased. Like if, if something comes up that uh, serves as a Batman adaptation and I don't like it, then you know clearly it's my problem but if someone can come away liking something that i didn't like i mean they win so when it comes to gotham between us you win because (laughs) because you can enjoy it so that's that's a good thing but i'm always going to be more supportive of anything that tries to uh i guess bring characters that are arguably a little more obscure into mm. into the light a little bit. So I think the inclusion of Harvey Bullock is certainly a strength of that show. But um, when it comes to the guy that I know and the journey that um, that I've gone on with this character during my time as a comic book fan and a fan of this show, uh, this instance, this story in both the DC universe and in the DC animated universe, I find just really resonant because it speaks to a guy who clearly has a complicated relationship um, with his job and with the, um, the criminals that he put away and with Batman. And this is a story that brings all of that stuff to light. And I just find it endlessly entertaining to watch. I could watch this episode uh, a lot uh, in rapid succession because I think it's such a strong character study. You know, uh, what's funny about this episode is I, I don't remember if I caught it on first airing, uh, back, back in the day. Um, I, so I think the first time I saw it was when the DVDs were being released, um, in, you know, like in the early two thousands and, uh, and, and I remember watching it and, and thinking, oh yeah, isn't this the episode with, with Killer Croc? where Croc is like framing Bullock or something, right? Yeah, yeah, no. this is that episode. And I was like, I was so excited to watch it. And the whole episode, I was like, isn't Killer Croc in this one? What, what's going on here? And then I was super confused and kind of turned off until I rewatched it and went, okay, like I'm dumb. That's a different episode, you know, which is also a good episode. Uh, uh, Vendetta, I believe it's called. Um, and, uh, it, you know, but this one is... Uh, similar in a sense that Bullock's in danger and, you know, but, uh, I, I like the, but this one, I, I like a little bit more because it's just, it, it has that kind of old school noir feel to it. Right. The only thing it's missing is, is Robert Costanzo narrating the episode. Right. Um, you know, cause we get like the saxophone just like blaring throughout the whole thing to the point where it's even doing like the Batman theme, which I thought was cool. Um, and, you know, it was a joke that my friends and I made when we were watching um, Batman Forever, you know, the, scene, the infamous scene with Chase and Batman on the, you know, top of police headquarters. There's the uh, saxophone guy playing and 
And we just were like, dude, the camera just needs to pan over and show that guy on the saxophone because he's clearly there, <laughs> you know, just out of frame. Uh, and I thought that watching this, too, I'm like, dude, the, the saxophone guy, he's he's replacing the narration, you know, so whoever's playing the saxophone in this episode, you know, give them an Emmy because they're <laughs> they're uh, heightening the uh, the entertainment value for me, at least. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing, but but I but I do mean that sincerely, like it just. It has kind of an old school feel to it, and the show when it did that kind of stuff, which it did a lot, um, was you know was was really cool because it's it's not something that we saw a lot back then, and we still don't really see nowadays. You know, like we get a little bit of it in the Batman, right, with Batman narrating, but there's something to be said about like having like like oh the cold wind blows through the air, you know. And, my cigar won't light because it's so windy or something like that you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i mean it, it again it speaks really really well made for each other and yep. uh i think that there is a lot to be said about um, using the Gotham City Police Department to explore uh, those kinds of ideas and concepts just because uh, there are a lot of uh, a really strong uh, kinds of beats that you can tell in stories that have to do with this police department in this place that is supported by... Uh, for all intents and purposes, a pretty extreme personality with a lot of resources. You know, there's there's more to be said uh, about Gotham City as an environment uh, than you just see from what Batman's able to handle on his own. Granted, Batman does a lot on his own, and that's yeah. one of the things that makes him such a great character, and it helps to uh, to portray his own fortitude and his adaptability and his uh resourceful thinking all of that stuff comes into play but in those few instances where his reach just isn't quite far enough it falls on these more regular people to try and figure out how they're supposed to manage things and um i think this story helps get to the to the root of that kind of a concept um but uh, at the end of the day, I kind of feel like they didn't do this enough on the show, mm -hmm. but they would end up doing it more in later years in the comics, at least. And when Paul Dini started writing Detective, I mean, we've got a couple of stories in that vein over the course of his run, just because he did so many different done in ones that felt very episodic and evocative of Vitas. The vast majority of those stories, Batman was the focus because by Paul Dini's own admission, um, I remember John Beerley telling me when he was uh, interviewing Paul Dini one time back in like 2009, I believe, um, that the thing that Dini finds most fascinating about the world of Batman is Bruce Wayne. So it's understandable that he would put the focus there. But he's also a writer that has understood in the past. Yeah, it's fun to, to play around in the full depth of the sandbox, especially if uh, someone's doing something when Batman might not be able to to handle it or at least to get to it yep. uh, fast enough. and this is a story that works in that same vein too it, you know it's it's so much uh it, it's interesting to watch because you know 
you know, when I was talking about like the the kind of the film noir aspect of it, how easily Batman fits into it, you know, uh, and it's so much fun to see him like you know Bullock, you know, and it's it's so Batman, right? You know, when he's Bullock's like, you know, how do I find you? And he's like, I'll find you, you know, and it's just and you know, and who can deliver those lines but Kevin Conroy, where you're just like. Right. You're simultaneously like impressed and terrified, you know, um, and and I love that uh, you know it's and it takes uh, it takes a lot of strong actors to to you know because you know Warner Brothers was was great about you know getting the actors together to record together, uh, which is you know just like genius. You don't understand. I, sometimes I don't understand why they don't do that more often with these movies or TV shows. I mean, I. I get it i understand the technical stuff but uh but you know what i mean it's it, you know it, it it says a lot that these people can be in the room and talk and they're talking you know to batman and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel weird like nobody's like looking at the camera going like this is weird right like you know i'm talking to a guy in tights and stuff you know like it's it's very much like you know this you know, Bullock's a cop that has a problem. He's going to the guy, quote unquote, outside the force, right? Um, you know, which in an, another story would be just like a PI or something, right? Um, but in this case, it's it's Batman, and and I love that Batman just he's and again the smartest one in the room without being a dick about it because he keeps saying, you know, when he's talking about like Vinny the Shark. You know, he's like, he's like, oh, is this, is this it? It's over now? And Bullock's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's done. We're good. Batman's like, okay, if you say so. And then, you know, and then comes back later and it's like, it's like no, no, it wasn't over. I knew it wasn't over. And, uh, and, and Batman's, uh, you know, and he's smart about it, but not in a, you know, Bullock, you're dumb. I'm smart kind of a way. You know what I mean? Like he's like, you know, a hitman would, would hit you and would kill you in your home. He wouldn't do it on the streets, and and Bullock's just like, oh, whatever. Like, what does what does that even mean? And and I like that we get that aspect of Batman that, you know, he is a detective first and foremost, and he's very smart, and and that's the kind of stuff that, unfortunately, we don't. I feel like we don't get a lot of in uh, in a lot of medium medium outside of the comic books. You know what I mean? Like, it just, you know, like the Batman did a good job of it, and. Every Batman movie has some aspect of detecting, but it's like no, we, I I just want to see Batman, kind of like the the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Sherlock Holmes movie where he's picking up on everything that's going on, um, and and so when he figures it all out, you're like, oh, that's what all that meant, you know. I feel like I'm rambling, but you know, if any of that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it does. I mean. I think what you express is something that a lot of Batman fans have felt about uh, the character's appearances in other media for a long time. So uh, the fact that you had as many pretty hardcore comics fans uh, involved in the creation of the animated series as you had between particularly Bruce Dini and Bruce Dini <laughs> and Paul Dini, yeah. uh, in addition to, to others that they would bring on in the future um you know they got to rectify that to a certain degree and um by choosing to adapt a bullet for bullock it's a good way to emphasize his detective skills but also too any 
good writer wants a story with relatable characters. And it's kind of hard in some respects not to relate to Bullock um, mm-hmm. just because, yeah, you do get the sense, as you kind of mentioned earlier, that his circumstances are clearly his choice. Sure. But there is still kind of like a mournful quality, you know, you like you don't want a friend to spend a holiday by themselves. Right. But right. when Bullock says he's spending Christmas and New Year's doing his laundry, I mean, there's something about that that is a little bit um, that is a little bit sad, even if maybe that's what he wants. Um, yeah. I mean, not even Batman spends the holidays alone. So yeah. uh, at least most of the time. So I think that there is something to be said about uh, giving us a character to relate to on a different level than we normally get, especially considering that, yeah, he's rough around the edges and he's kind of easy to dislike, but he's also kind of hard to, uh, to, to hate. Yeah. So it's just something that's unique to Harvey Bullock. Uh, certainly on the Gotham City Police Force, um, but also kind of in the the broader pantheon of Batman's allies. Bullock is a guy unto his own, and I think the episode and the issue that it's based on did a good job of of putting that foot forward. You know, it's 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 interesting to see the, this character that you know has to go to Batman for help, you know, because he doesn't know who he can trust on the police force. Because for all he knows, one of them is is trying to kill him, and uh, and you know it's funny because he, he mentions they mention Gordon a couple times, but Gordon's not in the episode. Uh, but I also think that, and maybe there was a draft of the script that included him. I I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, but I think that the story is is paced so well that if there had been like a Gordon scene, it would have slowed it down. So having just you know the the main two characters be you know Batman and Bullock makes it that much more interesting because you know like you know, like Montoya's in it for a little bit but um but for the most part it's like it's just these two guys trying to solve this mystery and 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 the the, the fun of the episode comes at, at the end when we realize that that, that that there wasn't like some big mob mobster after him or it wasn't killer croc or you know or or whatever it was just it was his landlord that just like went went cuckoo for goco puffs right you know and um, it's funny because when I was rewatching the episode, I, you know, I immediately heard Jeffrey Jones's voice. I was like, oh, it's Jeffrey Jones. Um, and then when Vinny the Shark was talking, I was like, that guy sounds familiar. He sounds really familiar. I don't know who that is. And I looked it up. It's also Jeffrey Jones. Um, uh, <laughs> so I just, I had to laugh at myself going, like, I was like, oh yeah, there he is. There's, there's a uh, principal Rooney just trying to <laughs> ruin our main character's day again. Um, and then it was like, I was like, who's Vinny the Shark? He sounds familiar. But, you know, uh, Jeffrey Jones, you know, boo, Jeffrey Jones, kind of a horrible person in real life. Uh, but uh, was a talented actor. So, you know, we got to separate the art from the artist a little bit there. But uh, but but I like that the the, the character just is it's so funny because he was just so cartoony, but not in a but not in a in a way that took me out of the story. Right. You know, like when he's yelling at Bullock, he's like his face is literally turning red. He's like, you know, you know, clean your apartment. You know, I have no roaches in my building, and he's screaming at him and everything. And then at the end of the episode, he's just he spends the last like, you know, two minutes just laughing hysterically like a lunatic. 
And uh, it's just it, it, it's just funny that, you know, Bullock's like, oh, I, I didn't even know it was him. You know, it's just like that to me also feels like an old school mystery, right? It's like, what's got to be this big bad guy, right? No, it's just this average guy that just lost his marbles a little bit, right? <laughs> it seems like people are prone to losing them in Gotham. There's a... <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a, a the the streets are very dark so if you drop them they're gone you know um, oh yeah <laughs> but no i mean and but there's also just something that's kind of endearing too about um how batman and gordon have their eyes on a much bigger potential prize mm-hmm. uh, because i mean if someone's going after a a, a police officer a reasonably well-known police officer you assume who's kind of the right hand of the commissioner mm. uh, not in broad daylight because i'm not even sure that exists in gotham but at least <laughs> uh, out in the open sure then uh conceivably it would be someone who's established and who has uh the the, the chutzpah you might say to, to to go after a cop so blatantly right. and the fact that the story ends where it does uh, over what seems like such a minor concern for everyone else except the guy who's actually doing the the pursuing um, there is a little bit of a charming quality to that the mm-hmm. issue ends far more abruptly than the episode does i think but mm-hmm. they each work in their own way and it still gets you to the same place at the end of the story um but like i don't think i i would even presume to try and peg which one i like more because they are extremely close like this the episode as adapted is virtually identical to the issue save for a couple of specific details Mm -hmm. but um certainly the way that the story ends and with whom it ends uh those are identical and they're both equally as uh as charming i think (laughs) Um, you know, it's it's funny you were talking about earlier, you know, that there's a lot to unpack with this episode. And one of the things that I picked up on was uh when Bullock goes to Summer Gleason for help and and you know, he kinda and he turns her chair around, he's like, Come on, Gleason, come on. It's just there's just so much is said with nothing being said, where the first thought that went through my head was like, Oh man, they something happened there, you know, with the two of them. And uh and to the point where she's just so, she's so bitter towards him that he's pleading, like, you gotta help me, I'm gonna die. And she's like, sucks to be you, and slams the door in his face, essentially. Um, I I just kind of laughed at that, going, I, I love that I feel something's going on here. Something happened with them, you know? And, you know, like, when she says, like, you're lucky I talked to you at all, like, you know, let, you know, come back in an hour and we'll we'll discuss everything. And, but it, it you know, it, to every, you know, like I was saying, it, it just sounds so like, I don't, we don't need to know what happened. Like our imaginations can take us wherever we want, but I like that we are very much like, like, oh, this is interesting. It's a, it's a little wrinkle that just adds so much to the story and something mm-hmm. that the show was very, very good at, you know, I mean, this is a fairly mature episode for a you know supposedly kid show right you know (laughs) um it's even something like that you know when he turns her chair around 
my first thought was like, oh boy, like there's a history there. And and then I'm starting to think like, man, like that's uh that's bold, but like that you went after Summer Gleason <laughs> to try and rekindle that just just even for a moment, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't think anyone could accuse Harvey Bullock of being uh, shy. Sure. So, you know, it was probably a little bit overbearing when it comes to matters of the heart. Is, is, is it the heart? Who knows? But mm-hmm. uh, either way, no, I mean, it, it, it just adds to the interplay. Summer Gleason is a component that is exclusive to the episode because – She's not really a character to speak of in, in the comics. I think she's shown up once or twice, but she's certainly not nearly as prominent in the books as she is in uh, in the animated series. But um, it's just it, it again. It just adds another component of fun and seeing how other characters not only interact with Batman but also interact with each other uh, just helps to to weave a pretty solid tapestry so you can see uh how all these characters interact all being in the same place and responding to some pretty crazy circumstances all things considered it you know it's uh it's it's funny i you know i'm thinking about as you're as you're talking you know uh summer gleason uh not from the comics Renee Montoya, not from the comics. You know, Harley Quinn, not from the comics. You know, this show added a lot to the Batman mythology. Um, more so than I really, I, you know, everybody gets credit to Harley Quinn, of course, you know, and Paul Dini. But, you know, it's like, yeah, but like Montoya was, I think, the original character for the show uh, that's had a, a, you know, great success in the comics. And Summer Gleason, I think, has popped up here and there. Um but it's so that's so that's interesting to think about that the show was, uh, you know, not afraid to flesh things out and put their own stamp on uh, on Gotham City, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, Montoya in particular is really fast. I mean, Harley Quinn is obviously the easy one to peg in terms of uh, characters that have gone on to greater prominence that had their beginnings in the animated series. But in Montoya's case, she had already been created for the show and then they preemptively introduced her into the DCU. That's right. That's where right. she made her first appearance in animation. And it just goes to show it's like, there's, there's something here. And Montoya has been the subject of some really, truly fascinating comic stories, oh, yeah. particularly at the hands of Greg Rucka, but not exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's a really pivotal component of Gotham central. I really can't recommend that series enough. Um, uh, but the interplay between she and Bullock here is just a lot of fun. And the components of that relationship are translated into the comics in a pretty accurate and faithful way. And again, it just gives more people to relate to beyond Batman, uh, at the, at the police department of Gotham city. So it all adds up to just a, a wonderful tapestry and it's, one of the strengths of these kinds of shared universe intellectual property where one creator can come in, introduce an idea. And if another creator can see a good concept to use, even in a different medium, there's a latitude to be able to do that. Um, And I'm all for it as long as the right people get the appropriate credit and as long as they receive the appropriate compensation for it. Uh, In an instance like this, it's just fun to see how, all of that stuff is woven together. 
No, I, uh, I, I definitely agree. And, and there's, there was a reality to Montoya's story where it, it didn't start in the animated series. I don't think at least, but that, you know, she ended up be, you know, being gay in the comic books. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I don't think it was done in the show, or if it was, it was very subtle. Um, they, same- the, you know, in in the shows, it's actually more apparent in Superman than it is in Batman because yeah. of uh, Maggie Sawyer. But they do at least allude to that reality, even if they don't outright mention it. And considering the time that these episodes were produced, I just find that fascinating and, oh, yeah. and really, really forward thinking to uh you know to at least give service to to that idea and then when people in my case and probably in your case get older and they understand uh the true dynamics of these characters then you go oh that's that's there it's actually there that's really really interesting um no i i totally agree and it's uh it's something where like when i was a, you know i think when we were kids you know it's very black and white right you know if you're Harvey Bullock and you're against Batman, then he's the bad guy, you know? Even if we know he's not the villain, he's still a bad guy, right? And as right, we yeah. as we're getting older and understanding the, the gray areas of the world much more than the black and white stuff, then it's like, you know, I can appreciate a character like Harvey Bullock. Um, you know, one of my favorite Har- Harvey Bullock stories is throughout the Earth One series that Jeff Johns mm-hmm. and Gary Frank did. So I think that was such a cool spin on the character. Um, and, you know, he's... He's almost like those books are almost uh, ensemble pieces in a lot of ways, uh, where Bullock and Gordon and you know Killer Croc even for crying out loud get get pretty substantial roles throughout those those books. I can't recommend those enough. Um, sure. But you know, but I also agree with you about um, excuse me about uh, Gotham Central. Just uh, what I remember thinking like, oh, like Gotham is going to be just like Gotham Central. It's going to be so great, and then Gotham went. A very different way uh, so uh, which is you know it, it is what it is uh, but I, I remember you know picking those those issues back up because I'd read a few here and there when they were first coming out I what was it it was like the early 2000s wasn't it I think um, uh, that, yeah um, and then getting the trades not long before Gotham came out and just plowing through them going oh this is cool seeing seeing how like the police deal with the Joker as opposed to just how Batman deals with the Joker and stuff like that. Um, really, uh, really great stuff. Um, yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, but, but getting back to this episode, it, it's, it's fun to see just this other side of, of the story that we we don't normally get, you know, like Bullock, you know, in most episodes has, you know, maybe five lines, if that, right. Um, so in this episode where he's essentially the protagonist, it's, you know, and, and it's weird to think that sometimes the best episodes of Batman, the animated series are the ones where he's not the main character, you know, like an episode, like almost got him, right. Is a great episode, but Batman's almost an afterthought in that episode because we're focused so much on the villains. And in this case, we're focused so much on Bullock. Um, but it also doesn't feel like, it's so well done, so well paced that I don't feel I'm not sitting there going, "All right, let's get to Batman." All right, I'm here for Batman. Where's Batman? You know, I'm I'm still interested in what they're doing. And Michael Reeves, you know, he wrote a lot of episodes of the show. And he was fantastic. You know, he wrote some really great ones, and this being one of them, just something's just so, um, just so simple and and 
an off the beaten path, right? You know, because you think of these shows, you think of like, oh yeah, there's there's some great Joker stuff, some great Scarecrow stuff, but this one doesn't have any of that. It's very much just just uh, Bullock and Batman, you know, kind of going through normal criminals in Gotham City. You know, oh yeah, that's right, they're there too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I just remember. So clearly, I remember the my first ex- time reading the the very first issue of Gotham Central and how it was very like uh, just police procedural, mm-hmm. and you got to know um, these people that you were spending time with just over the course of this one issue, um, and they were talking about their families and they were talking about what they're looking forward to doing when they get off of work, and they get a domestic disturbance call. Uh, and it's just like a patrolman and this detective and they knock on the door and uh, all of a sudden there's a big flash detectives on the ground. He looks over at the patrolman who was just talking about his family and he's flash frozen. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Oh, how are these people supposed to handle that? How are right. these people supposed to handle Mr. Freeze? Right. You know? And it's uh, I love how that first story, it's only three issues. But um, the detective is just determined to do right by the guy that was with him on that call. And it's only until the very end of the story that he realizes, okay, maybe I'm in over my head. It's time to turn the signal on. Right. And that's when Batman is almost kind of like a deus ex machina in those, sto- in it, particularly in that first story. Yeah. Because he does come in and he swoops in and saves the day. But, um, you know, the, the determination of uh, the cops in Gotham Central makes that series really, really endearing. And, um, you know, I can't recommend it enough. So if you are familiar with those stories, but have not seen a bullet for Bullock, um, you'll probably find something to like quite a bit here because it's kind of in that similar vein. It's not as uh, dour as some of the stories in Gotham Central had the potential to become. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it is just, again, like I, I, I've said it a couple of times over the course of this discussion, it's just good, solid character work. And um, there's nothing wrong with, uh, like you said before, jumping off the beaten path a little bit, because this is a world that's so rich and it's populated by such a diverse array of uh, extreme personalities that it's going to be fun to see how other people react and respond to certain things and a bullet for bullock is no exception. It's just a a good, solid, fun bottle episode that takes us in a little bit of a different direction and maybe a direction you might not expect. So it's cool. Yeah. It's, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just good fun too, by the end of it, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, like I was saying before, you, 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 I like that the Batman's, you know, a, a step ahead of everybody, you know, kind of going like, uh, you know, I don't think this is it. And Bullock's like, oh, it's it. Like this guy, you know, like, and he uses like all those old terms, right? He's like, oh, he wants me to take a dirt nap and all this stuff, you know, it's just, it's, it's fun to have that stuff peppered in there as well. Um, that makes it feel like, you know, it, it, it gives it a, uh, a heightened reality. It's, it's not, not, uh, I'm not taken out of the episode by it, but I, I love that little stuff that, that's thrown in there. It just feels, uh, like, okay, like this, this isn't so bad. And even something as simple as like, you know, Bullock gets like the, the donuts and then the guy tries to run him over and, and he drops the donuts and he kicks the donuts. <laughs> and I'm just like, 
I'm like, man, like if I, I don't know anything more relatable than that. <laughs> like, you know, just like, like, ah, oh, crap, I lost all my donuts or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's part of the fun, you know? And yeah. at the end of the day, these stories, that's what they need to be first. And uh, Bullock is such a weird guy that I think it's kind of impossible not to have uh, quite a bit of fun when he's actually the primary character in a story. And that's certainly not something that happens very often, at least in the comics. So uh, spending time with him here, uh, especially because he's so resentful of Batman to a degree, but also needs his help. It just, it's, it's fun. And isn't that what you want from the end of the day when you watch a cartoon? Yeah. What I want. Yeah. Just, I just want to be entertained and I was definitely entertained rewatching this and I'm glad you suggested it because it's, it's not one I revisit very often, but that's definitely going to change now. It's, it's definitely going to be on the list um, to go back because it's, you know, it's, it's nice to see stuff that isn't the, you know, the quote unquote villain of the week thing, you know, like, uh, like you know, the show does very, very well, obviously, you know, sure. there, there's a reason that we're still, you know, to this day, we still talk about Mark Hamill as the Joker. Right. Um, and that those a lot of those actors are doing like the uh, the Galaxy Con virtual meet and greets and signing mm-hmm. stuff. I actually got uh, Richard Mole, you know, Two Face to sign something for me. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, and you know stuff like that. It's a lot of fun, um, and it just speaks to the longevity of this show and uh, and and to have an episode like this that's kind of not is more underrated. I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, but it's it's still a you know a quality episode of TV and a great uh, you know and a great Batman story at the end of the day like you get you get all the cool Batman stuff you want you get him dangling criminals off of, off of stuff and showing up out of nowhere to beat up the bad guys and and he ditches Bullock I think three or four times the same way he does with Gordon yep and it's just so funny to see other characters react to that. You know, to have Bullock be like, you know, how does Gordon deal with this? And it's just like, well, yeah, it's, it's he's like, it's rude, <laughs> you know. But but it's uh, but that's that's part of the fun of it too. Like Batman just being Batman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad that you're going to be adding it to your rotation. That's good, and and certainly give uh, Detective Number Six Fifty One a look as well. Yeah. Um, maybe in tandem. Maybe you just have a bullet for Bullock Night, and you take an hour and you read the book and then you watch the episode and you compare and contrast them. It's always a lot of fun. I like doing that, but uh, there's, there is a lot of fun to be had with this one. Uh, And that's why I chose it at the end of the day is because it's got these great character moments um, that are punctuated by some pretty solid action set pieces, but even just like an underlying degree of comedy that is a little uncommon in a lot of BTS episodes. So, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks again, man. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, and even just like, you know, our little private chats once in a while, you know. Um, you're a great guy. A lot of fun to talk to. You you bring so much insight that uh, I just, I could, I could kind of sit back and just let you be the, be the expert. So that's fun. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you again for the invitation. It's always good to come back and yeah, it's always great to chat with you. So oh, might as well you. record it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so if people are looking for you out there in the, uh, the dark corners of Gotham city. Where can they find you? 
Uh, easiest place is probably, even though I don't spend an abundance of time on there, I'm on Twitter at Chris Klaus, C-H-R-A-S-C-L-O-W. Um, Twitter's a weird place, but I have a, a fair amount of friends, including you, that are on there and active, and it's always fun to talk about shared interests. If you deviate too far beyond that on Twitter, then you'll probably find yourself in a rotting cesspool. But if you keep it to the stuff that you like, then it's, it, then it can be a pretty fun place. Um, I agree. And then I'm, another regular show of mine is discovery debrief, a star Trek podcast. And we are at the tail end of recording our recaps for star Trek, strange new world season one, a stellar show and a mm. great star Trek series that I'm sad is not around anymore, but it will, it'll be back with a vengeance next year. Looking forward to that. Um, And then the comic binge, uh, the YouTube show that my buddy Paul Herman and I uh, spearhead, and we just kind of take on a bunch of different uh, topics that are dedicated to the world of comics. We did an episode this week about all of the phase five and six Marvel studios announcements. So it was fun to kind of go into some reading recommendations based on some of the movies that were announced in the Comic-Con presentation. Um, And we're actually in the middle of a binge of Infinite Crisis. So I have been guiding uh, Paul and uh, Nico and Nick Caruso through really like the bare essentials for getting through um, the lead up to Infinite Crisis and then the main story itself. We've done, let's see... um, Leading up to Infinite Crisis, we did the OMAC project and mm-hmm. Countdown to Infinite Crisis, certainly, and uh, Superman Wonder Woman Sacrifice that kind of sets the table. And then we also just recently did uh, Justice League of America Crisis of Conscience or JLA Crisis of Conscience. Oh, yeah. And in our next episode, we're reading the first four issues of the main series uh, before we jump into some of the tie-in material that ran concurrently with the series. So it's been a lot of fun to revisit that era and that event. Um, it was a pretty, a pretty formative one in my time as a comic book fan. So it's fun to, to jump back into it. I, I love that you said that because I 100% agree that the, the buildup to Infinite Crisis was so much fun. And I, I remember reading those, like the, the Superman, Wonder Woman stuff, and the, uh, and uh, and the and the Teen Titans stuff. You know, yeah. tied in with it was just some of my favorite to this day. Some of my favorite comic books, uh, like the Connor Kent Superboy story, in, in my mind is, you know, that there's a reason that you know this is off topic from Batman, but <laughs> the the Connor Kent Superboy stuff. There's a reason that Smallville, Titans, Young Justice, you know. And probably eventually some Superboy movie will adapt all that, right? Because it was just that damn good, right? <laughs> it's a really strong concept. He's a guy who is technically the offspring of the world's greatest hero and the world's greatest villain. How is that not a super strong concept? And it's fun to... So some of the tie-in stuff that we're going to do uh, is the Teen Titans uh, material. Some of it, anyway. Like the <clears throat> annual where he and... Uh, Cassandra spend time in Smallville together and then the lead up to the events of issues five and six where Connor and Nightwing have to team up uh, to monitors tower and um, so yeah we're I'm going to do my best to lead them through the essentials of that stuff because yeah I agree with you Connor Kent is uh, he's a great one especially during this time I I will be paying very close attention to all that because that's that's like you know my uh 
you know, it, it was it was the start of my comic book collecting life, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and Infinite Crisis. I, I revisit every so often just because just the main book, because it's just that's a that's a fun book to read. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's very heavy, but it's it's uh, or it can be at least, but it's very fun. Um, so, um, uh, and as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at four comic junkies, and, uh, you can email me for comic junkies at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this on Apple podcasts, please, uh, write a review, subscribe, um, you know, uh, check us out, you know, get, uh, get, get the word out that this is uh, this is a cool place. This is a safe place for comic book fans. And, uh, you know, and this is, and there's a reason we call it for comic junkies. It's for you. It's for us. You know, we're, we're here to enjoy, enjoy our time on this, uh, this rotting earth that we've destroyed. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, not you and me, but, you know, uh, Bruce Wayne type people have, um, which by the way, is the most unrealistic part of Batman is that there's a nice billionaire. Uh, <laughs> you know, just throwing that out there. But, uh, but yeah, so thanks again, Chris, for being here. Uh, you're always welcome on the show. And to all you out there, just want to remind you, just, you know, take, you know, be nice to your landlords, all right? Because you never know when they're just going to snap and and just try to fucking kill you, man. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a real thing that we got to worry about these days. So be true safe enough, out there. The, the true moral of the story of a bullet for bullock, right? Be nice, to, be nice to your landlords. Cause... Be nice to your landlords and also be nice to people who prepare food for you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs>